0: Pride is a war. It's fundamentally competitive. It's a war with others. It's a war within ourselves. And ultimately, it's a war with God. And there is no peace. We're going to turn now to God's Word. This is uh, James uh, chapter 4. We're looking at the the first 12 verses. Here, the Word of the Lord is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our god will stand forever our topic today is pride and pride is one of the most fundamental topics in a christian understanding about human beings and psychology and our relationships with people and and, and ultimately our relationship with god and cs lewis in in mere christianity one of his greatest chapters he ever wrote is, was titled The Great Sin and is on the, the topic of pride. And actually I have a good friend who, when he was in his twenties, he had someone come up to him and give him a copy of Mere Christianity, he just said, Book three, chapter eight, you should read this. And of course, book three, chapter eight was the chapter on the great sin, pride. And you know, my friend read it. It was a hard word to read, and yet a life-changing moment. And uh, Lewis, in that chapter, he says this about pride. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people. But pride always means enmity. It is enmity. He talks about how pride is competitive. It's always competing against other people, so it's at odds with other people. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. Now, Lewis is probably quoting this passage from James here. Uh, you see in James, uh, in the chapter we're looking at, in verse 4, it says, Do you know that friendship with the world is enmity? With God, and then he says in verse six, God opposes the proud, and this is one of the the primary texts on understanding uh, pride. And and, Christians have throughout history said that pride. Is, is basically the sin that lies underneath all of our other sins. It's the thing that says, I don't need God. I am my own God, and I don't need God. And I'm going to do what I want, and I'm going to serve myself and everything about selfishness and, and mistreating of others. It really fundamentally comes from pride. And so if we are going to experience a deep transformation in our lives, we must be students of pride. And I'll tell you, this uh, passage that we're studying together is absolutely brilliant treatment, profound treatment of this subject. And so this morning, we're going to uh, look at three simple questions from this passage. What is pride? What is humility? What makes someone humble instead of proud? Three simple questions. What is pride? And then the opposite, what is humility? And third, what makes someone humble instead of proud? And, uh, you know, before I get started, I you know, just wanted to give one qualifier, because there, there's some ways that we use the word pride that aren't necessarily sinful. You know, someone might have a, a daughter who's a great athlete and say, oh, you know, I'm so proud of uh, you know my daughter when I watch her play sports, and it just gives me pleasure to, to see my child excelling like that. And, you know, I, I feel pride. And of course, that's not a sin to to take delight in your children, but you know, there's a fine line when the delight in a child turns into, I feel better than other people because my child's such a great athlete, and I want my child to be better than all the other kids. And all of a sudden, there's a competitive spirit, and it's a fine line between those two things, where that delight becomes twisted. And it's this second form of pride is is what we're really talking about today. And Dan Doriani describes it this way. It's saying, no one is better than I, and no one deserves more than I do. I will acquire what I wish because I deserve it. That's the spirit of pride. And so three questions this morning. First is this, what is pride? What is pride? And there are two answers that I want to point out to that question from this passage. That pride is war with others. You know, it's outside. It's war with other people. But fundamentally, pride is a war within ourselves, a war within our own desires. So these are two profound answers. So first, the first answer is that pride is war with others. In the passage that we just read, it begins and ends with people who are at odds with each other. Verse 1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? These church, they're fighting with each other. And so he uh, ends his passage in verse 11 saying, do not speak evil against one another. So he begins with people are quarreling and fighting and he ends with people who are criticizing one another. the critical spirit. So what pride looks like on the outside is a critical spirit towards one another. We're talking bad about one another. We're fighting with one another. It's a war of words between people. If you are in conflict with someone right now, I can almost guarantee you that pride is mixed in somewhere in that conflict. Both you and the person you're fighting with, probably. Now, why does pride always look like a war with others? Well, what Lewis says is that pride is competitive. It's it's always competitive. You know, it's not that I just love the truth. It's that I love being right and that you are wrong. And so it's, it's not just that I love the truth, but I have to prove that you're wrong in the process. And, you know, you think, of course, in our political discourse, this happens all the time, you know. If you're on Facebook, far more fi- political Facebook posts are about criticizing the opposition party instead of presenting, you know, a really creative way forward that that blesses our society and and unifies the people of our nation. It's far easier to criticize the other side. It's far harder. It's much more rare to come up with a a, a creative solution of, of how to move forward. And this is part of the reason why uh, pride is so difficult for us to recognize in ourselves is because when we are criticizing other people, we're often right. I mean, both political parties are filled with flaws. All of us can find all kinds of flaws in both political parties. So you're probably right in some regard in your criticism. But what is the cost of you setting yourself up as other people's Judge. That's part of the warning that James gives in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law. You're not a person who's out doing good works and caring for people, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save. And to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? When you have a critical spirit towards others, it's not only that you're setting yourself up above them, but you're setting yourself up above God's law because your law is now what's judging people instead of God's law. And you're even setting yourself up above God, who is the only judge and lawgiver. So the question for us is who are you? criticizing right now? Who do you have a critical spirit towards? Is it pride that is stirring that criticism within you? Is that what you want? Pride is always creating a war between people because it's competitive. But you know, that if that leads to another question, where does that come from? Where does this war between us come from? And that's the second answer to what is pride that James gives. Not only that Pride is a war with others, but pride is a war within our own desires. It's a war inside of us. What's on the outside mirrors what's happening on the inside. See that in the second part of verse 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's just a powerful statement. How many of you know exactly what that feels like? A war of your emotions and your thoughts and your desires and your feelings and your goals that constantly came to be tugging in different directions with inside of you. Pride on the inside is a fractured self. We're fractured, we're not whole. Pride wants all these different things and tries to get all kinds of different things for itself. And James says that whatever uh, this war is that's going on inside of us, that war inside is the source of the war outside. You see in verse two, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And it's probably not that these Christians are literally murdering one another. You know, we'll often talk that way where you say, why are you bashing me? You know, it doesn't mean that you're physically beating me. It means you're, you know, saying all these harsh words against me. So, so they're murdering one another with their words. And this all comes from the war that's with inside of them. So what does that mean? A war of our desires inside of us. Well, you know, imagine that you're a, a boss or a business owner. What are the desires that, you know, a boss has? Well, you know, most bosses, you know, want their employees to to like them and think they're, you know, they're like Michael Scott, the world's best boss. And they got a mug that says, I want to be the world's best boss. But I also want, you know, my employees to do what I tell them. I want them to respect me and obey me. And, you know, I want to make some money. I have this business because I want to, I want to get as much money as I can. But, you know, I'm also Christian maybe. And so I want to, I want to uh, do all of my business in accord with you know, spiritual principles. And so you look at, there's all these different desires that are happening inside of us. And pride is trying to get all these things that I want through my own wisdom, through my own power, through my flesh. And when you do that, it will make you crazy. So we you know, boss people around. And then they talk about us behind our back and we realize they don't like us because we boss them around we want them to obey us and so we're bitter at them. Or we try to be friends with them and then, and then they walk all over us and so then we're bitter about that. And so we have all these desires fighting within us and we feel crazy inside of ourselves. Am I successful? Am I respected? Am I loved? Am I a good enough Christian? When any of these desires is not met, we feel shame. And pride cannot tolerate shame. Pride cannot tolerate being disrespected. Pride cannot tolerate being not loved or being belittled. And so, so what always happens is that pride takes the shame it feels and deflects it onto everyone else around it. So if I feel belittled by you, I'm going to put out belittling others. If I feel disrespected, I'm going to disrespect others. And it's a deflecting of the pain of shame on to others. And, you know, maybe you felt that way where, you know, someone says something to you that kind of stings your pride and you lash out all of a sudden. You say, where did that come from? It's because we're deflecting the pain of the shame because we can't tolerate it. So all this shows us is that pride is a war. It's fundamentally competitive. It's a war with others. It's a war within ourselves. And ultimately it's a war with God. And there is no peace That's why Lewis says that it is the source of all misery both in whole societies and in little individual families on the big level and on the small level. So the question is, what does it look like to live life without pride? Well, verse 10 tells us, humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And well, that's our second question. We said, what is pride? Pride is a war with others and war within ourselves. The second question is, what is humility? What then is humility? And there are t- the two ways that James describes humility in this passage is as submission and grief. Two things. I think they're so important. Verse 7 says, Submit yourselves before the, therefore to God. So that's submission. And then verse 9, Be wretched and mourn and weep. says so grieving. Two things that go into humility. I want to talk about each of them. So first, how do you submit in humility? If, submission, if humility looks like submission, how do you submit in humility? Well, James says the, the main way that we submit to God is through prayer. Verse second part of verse 2 says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so we have all these desires for things that we want in life. And James says, you should bring your desires to your father and ask him. Don't try to get them on your own wisdom and strength. It's going to make you crazy. Just bring your desires to the Lord. And by the way, you're going to find when you bring your desires to the Lord, some of them he's going to tweak and say, no, that's not really good for you. You don't want that. And so because you desire and you ask wrongly. So there's some things he's going to correct your desires along the way. And so submission happens in the act of prayer. And what prayerful submission does is it unifies our inner life. You know, when we have these warring desires that are going all over the place, submission brings them into a whole. It says, I have one desire. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. My deepest desire is to honor you. And I want to honor you through loving my neighbor. That's my one desire. And look, look at how sane that is. And you know, uh, by the way, this kind of unifying that happens through submission is exactly what James says in this passage. In in, uh, verse 7, he says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, the devil's the father of pride, and he will flee from you, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You hear the double-minded? It's like I got these desires going in different directions. And then what did Matt say last week? That to have a pure heart is to have a singular passion. A pure heart is not fractured. It's whole. It's an integral whole. And, uh, you know, I've maybe shared this with you. Dallas Willard, one of the great spiritual writers of the last century. uh, I heard him say once that he would begin every day saying to the Lord, whatever comes into my day, today I receive it from you. I get an angry, per, you know, he's a professor. If I get an angry student coming into my office, I receive that student from you. You sent him. And, you know, and I, and I receive him in submission to you. You know, if you bring hard things or challenges or disappointments, whatever it is, or good things, blessings, I receive them as all your careful hand bringing things into my life. And so, uh, and so you say, you go back to the analogy of the boss has all these desires. He wants to be obeyed. He wants to be uh, loved and respected. He wants to make money. He wants to also be a good Christian. He has all these competing desires. And so what happens when the boss says, you know, I'm just, I submit myself to God. My one passion is to honor God through loving my neighbor. Of course, his neighbors are going to be his, If he's a business owner. He's got some employees and maybe he's got uh, uh, customers. And and so uh, what submission does is it takes this fractured desires and gives it one desire. And when a boss, you know, loves his or her employees, customers, how does he act? Well, he's going to Going to, you know, treat his employees fairly. He's going to want them to grow and to learn and to and he's going to challenge them and you know show them areas that they can grow. He's going to speak to them words of encouragement. He's going to make sure that the customers are being treated well. So if they're not being treated well, he's going to correct an employee is not treating them well. Or if employees are not treating each other well and you know, carrying their weight of the load, he's going to correct. So there's going to be correction, there's going to be encouragement, there's going to be love. But all of this is motivated by honoring God through love. And, you know, what happens, by the way, is when you submit to yourself to God, is it turns out that, oh, you're loving people, so they tend to like you, and, uh, and things start running well, and, you're, and your customers are cared for, and so you start making money. And so all those other desires become like a bonus that is thrown in, but they weren't the desire that was driving us anymore. We had one desire to submit to God and honor Him. And so first how do you submit in humility? You say to God regularly, whatever comes in my life, I receive it from you. It's my one desire to honor you. And it brings a sanity to your inner life. It ends the war on the inside. Um, Now, some of you say, well, that sounds great. I don't do that well. I'm often not submitting to God, not saying, Lord, your will be done. I don't do that, and I lash out, and I I act in pride. So what do you have to say about that? Well, that's the second thing, is is not only how do we submit in humility, but the second thing about humility is how do you grieve in humility? Verse 9 says, Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. And, you know, I read that this week and I was thinking, wow, wretched and mourning and gloom and weeping. I mean, it just sounds so dour. Is that really what God wants? Doesn't he, he want to comfort us? Doesn't he want to make us happy? Does, does God want us to feel that way? Well, you know, I mentioned earlier that pride hates the pain of shame. And, and so deflects the shame and contempt that it feels onto others. And, it, and so the deflecting of pain onto others is a way of sparing ourselves from the grief of shame. And, uh, and you, know, you know, when you get angry at someone, anger feels like you're in control. You know, when you're angry, you feel powerful. You feel strong. And so when you're in this world that feels out of control or you feel weak and hurt and belittled, you want to feel strong and powerful. And anger promises that. You also feel righteous. You know, anger is always a moral emotion. It's it's always, you know, talking about what's just and what's right. And, you know, and so you feel righteous and you feel powerful and you feel strong when you're angry. And so anger in the short term feels like control and righteousness, but in the long run, anger always leads to just more shame. Creates this, this perpetual cycle of pride. What would happen if you didn't deflect the shame? of your own sin and imperfection and weakness onto others. James says, if you don't put the shame onto others, it's going to look like grief, grieving. And does that mean that God wants you to beat yourself up all the time? No, because what does this passage say? Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. P- Pride wants to exalt itself. Humility says, I'm going to grieve and wait for the Lord to exalt me. And James is, of course, quoting our Lord here, who said, He who humbles himself will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will be humbled. The path of humility, of submission, and grief is the path of our Lord. He went to the cross, and he trusted his Father that he would be raised, that he would be exalted. And so humility says, I will not run from the fact that I'm weak, and imperfect, and proud, and sinful. I won't deflect my shame onto others. I will grieve my shame and wait for God to exalt me, because I know in time he will raise me up. What are the areas in your life where God is calling you to humility? It's two sides. Submission and grief. And I say it's probably an area where you feel uh, disappointment and pain. And to be able to say to God, Lord, I, I, I trust you. My one desire is to honor you through loving my neighbor. That's my one desire, submission. And then, and then to grieve and say, you know, the pain that I feel, the shame that I feel, I'm not going to deflect that onto other people. I'm going to grieve it and I'm going to wait for you to exalt me in time. That's what that's what God, God's calling us to. And so what we have so far is what is pride. It's it's a war. Pride is a war. It's war with others. It's a war within ourselves. It's ultimately a war with God. And what is humility? Well, submission, saying to God, I, you know, I submit to you. I I want to honor you and love. It uh, stops the war within inside of us. We don't have competing passions. We have one passion. So submission stops the war inside. And then grieving, being willing to grieve our shame and, and not deflect it onto others, stops the war with others. So humility stops the war of pride and, and finally brings us peace. And so the truth in this passage are so in, incredibly deep, um, but it really leads to one last question: What makes someone humble instead of proud? What makes someone humble instead of proud? Well, at the heart of this passage is not something that we do, but it is something that God does. And you know, verse five, I've, I've read this passage many times before and verse five never really stuck out to me. Maybe I didn't really get what it was saying. But this week it struck me. It says, Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns. Jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. You see, we have all these passions and desires that are at war with with each other, going in different directions, but God has one passion over which he yearns jealously. And what is it? His passion is for the spirit that he has made to dwell, your inner life, the war that's happening inside of you, your heart that is all over the place. God wants your heart. If you are proud, God wants your heart. If you're humble, if you're weak, if you're discouraged, God wants your heart. If you're a mixture of pride and humility, that we all are, God wants your heart. And he will pursue your heart. And verse 6 tells us how God pursues our hearts. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So on the one hand, God opposes the proud. And that's a hard truth that pride will find God opposing it at every turn. And maybe you've had seasons in your life like that, you know, I know I sure have, where where God has said, I'm gonna crush your pride. What a mercy. What a mercy that God would crush our pride. That he would stop the war. Don't we want the war to end? And the way that Hebrews describes it, it says not pleasant for a time. but Ultimately, it leads to the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It leads to peace. It's not because God hates us that he opposes the proud. Do you think God crushes our pride because he hates us? No, it's because this passage says he yearns jealously for our spirit, for our hearts. He knows that the proud have no fellowship with him. And so once he's humbled the proud, he's brought low the proud, then we can move to the second part of the verse where it says, God gives grace to the humble. And the giving of grace to the humble, we see all over the Gospels when you read the this, this story of Jesus and the people he interacts with and the, the lame and the blind and the outcasts and the lepers and, and sinners whose lives have been so torn apart by, um, uh, by their, their decisions and their sin. And he comes to them and he comes to them with grace. And he comes to the lowly and exalts them and he eats with them and he welcomes them into his kingdom. That's what Jesus does. Is he gives grace to the humble. He exalts the lowly. And so if you are the lowly, come to Jesus. Turn to him. And what will you find is grace. And the thing, you know, when we ask the question, what makes someone humble instead of proud? Well, it's God himself. It's God's work in our life. Who's opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble. It's the Lord who does that. And so uh, as we become a community of people who gather around uh, the Lord Jesus. This is what we should expect in our lives, that he'll oppose our our pride, but his purposes are ultimately because he wants our heart so that he might give us his grace. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for uh, the deep wisdom that we find here in the book of James and uh, these words, inspired by your Holy Spirit, so many years ago, and yet that apply so deeply to our lives and our world now, and our relationships now. And Lord, we pray that you teach us what it means for us to draw near to you, that you might draw near to us. And Lord, teach us um, what it is to say to you, Lord. We receive whatever you bring to us, even if it's hard. And Lord, we grieve um, our our weakness. We grieve our sin. And uh, ultimately, that we will wait for you to raise us up. And um, so, teach us these truths, our Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.